I don't know if you have been watching it on Facebook and Twitter over the last several weeks, but there is a new controversy that is growing. It's actually not a very new controversy, but it has gained new life in recent days among Christians. And that controversy is whether or not a Christian should vote in elections in the United States of America. And there are different views about doing that. And whether then there are those who say, well, listen, it is a, a, a right for Christians to vote in America as citizens of the United States. But that doesn't mean that we must vote. And there are others who are saying, no, as Christians, we must vote. And there are people that are arguing back and forth about this. And then beyond that controversy, when you, when you move further into it, and really the discussion online actually began with the second question, which is actually a secondary question. The first question is, should Christians vote? And the second question, though, is how should we vote? Uh, how should we vote, and who should we vote for, and how do we determine that? And uh, there's a big controversy going on about that. In fact, uh, if you have not seen it, uh, maybe you have seen uh, John Piper's uh, article that he put out not too long ago about that, and then maybe you have seen responses to that that others, uh, some just in uh, a matter of a few uh, sentences or paragraphs, and some writing full articles about that. But this is a battle that is enraging as we get closer to next Tuesday. We are only five days away from voting. Of course, this year that is a bit different because as of this morning, over 70 million people have already pre-voted by going to early voting and voting and so forth. Um, You can vote early, but you better not vote often. Uh, They may come find you later. Uh, And so people are doing that. And yet, um, they are expecting a major turnout uh, this year on Tuesday, probably bigger than, than many elections for some time. And so that this controversy among Christians is, should we vote? Uh, can we vote? Must we vote? That's, that's the first question, because, you know, there are some who say we can, but we shouldn't. Others saying, well, we, we should, but it's not really that necessary if you don't want to. Others say, well, it depends on what's going on, whether or not you should sit it out. But then secondly, how should we vote? How do we look at this? And of course, you know the common saying that we have been hearing for the last several elections, particularly presidential elections, is people say something like this, well, I am going to go vote for the lesser of two evils. Well, folks, I want to tell you something. You might as well just say, I am going to go vote for the lesser of 300 million evils. Because the fact is, is every person living in the United States is evil. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And the only person who is perfect is not running and never will. And that is Jesus because he is already King of kings and Lord of lords. So we will never vote for a perfect person. So the whole idea of saying, I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils is actually just a redundant statement and kind of dumb. Uh, Really, what we should be saying is, I want to vote for the best candidate, the person who most reflects what I believe in. That's what every American should be saying. And so we should be looking for that concept. But coming to that question, I have a, a third question for us this morning. And that is this, does the Bible say anything to us at all about these first two questions? 
Does the Bible really tell us anywhere, I mean, whether or not we should vote, and if we should, how we should vote? Because we understand that in the Old Testament, there wasn't really a vote. There were kings. And there were kings, particularly where most of the Old Testament is concerned, that were living in not a democracy and not a republic, and actually we're a, a republic in the United States of America, though people use the term democracy very often. But it was neither of those. It wasn't anything like that. It was a theocracy, and there will never be another one until Jesus himself is ruling on the throne in Jerusalem someday in the future for a thousand years. So it's unique. When we come to the New Testament, Caesar is in charge. They are, Rome is the world leader. And there were lesser authorities throughout the world, but they all were subject to Rome. They all were subject to Caesar. And they did not vote every four years on who was going to be the new leader of the Roman Empire. And so people say, well, you know, those settings really are so different. They really don't speak to this issue. And that's part of why we have the controversy. Well, in our study of the Word of God this semester, by the way, I did not particularly plan that we would be on the section we are today. Uh, God did, and I just planned out the series and didn't even look at the dates, quite frankly. I said, this is the series I'll do and there was a couple times I wondered if where this one would fall before or after. But to be honest, I never looked at the, at the list and put it next to a calendar. I just had the list of the sermons we were going to look at this semester. But I think it's significant in God's providence that it's today. Because we are studying together what does it mean to be a Christian citizen. What does it mean to be someone who is first and foremost a citizen of heaven, but secondarily a citizen of the country in which you reside? So I want you to open your Bibles with me today to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter in chapter 2. And as we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, you're going to hear some things that are familiar to you because it harkens very closely to Romans 13 that we looked at when we looked at understanding the second institution that God established, the institution of government. And we looked at Romans 13, and I told you we would talk about the submission issues later in the future, but for that day, we were just looking at the function of government. What did God ordain the government institution to do? And we looked at that together. But today we come to the question of what is our responsibility as Christians in relationship to the government in the country in which we reside, and particularly for all of us for the United States of America because this is where we reside. So what does that mean if we're first a citizen of heaven and secondarily a citizen of this country? What does that mean for us? When it comes to this concept, well, as we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, there are many things that are happening here, but it's, it's interesting 
that actually Peter addresses kind of both issues that we're looking at, citizens first of heaven, and then secondarily, citizens of, for them, Rome, but in the country under which we live under that authority. So I want you just to notice a couple things that he says in this chapter about our citizenship in heaven. Look in verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, now look what he says, a holy nation, his, speaking of Jesus' own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. There are a few words that we see Peter using here that point to our citizenship in heaven. He says we're a chosen generation. He says we're a royal priesthood. He says we're an, a, a, a holy nation. He says we are a, his own special people or peculiar people. He says that, that uh, we have a job to do, proclaiming his pra praises. It tells us that once in verse 10 we were not a people, but now we are. And in verse 11 he reminds us, that is because we're citizens of heaven on earth, wherever we reside, whether that's in Iran or in the United States, wherever we reside, that is not our primary citizenship. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. So therefore, we are sojourners. We are moving through this earth. We are pilgrims looking for our homeland. All right, this, this, we were reminded of these same truths in Hebrews chapter 11. This is who we are as children of, children of God. So Peter here is acknowledging that, hey, listen, your primary citizenship is in heaven. He's saying, listen, uh, you are not primarily citizens of Jerusalem. You're not primarily citizens of Judea. You're not primarily citizens of Israel. You're not primarily citizens of the Roman Empire, you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. And he's reminding us of that truth in this passage and teaching us that therefore it should affect the way we live. But then we come to the next section. In verse 13 through verse 17, Peter shifts the focus from being a citizen of heaven to being a citizen of the country in which you reside. Look there with me at the text. He says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. In this paragraph, Peter shifts the focus of saying, now listen, you are citizens of heaven, but don't forget, and that should affect your choices every day how you live, but don't forget that you are also citizens of a country here on earth. You are citizens in the land in which you reside, and where your citizenship is, you have responsibilities. Now, as we read those verses, there should be some things reminding you 
of some of what we read in Romans chapter 13. But this morning, as we look at this paragraph, I want to bring three things to your attention. In doing so, two of them are primary in this text, and a third is implied in this text, and it therefore is really focused on the application of this text to us. So I want us to to do that, and then as we do, I believe it will shed some light on the current controversy among Christians, should we vote, and secondly, how should we vote? So I want you to look at the text with me. And first thing we're going to see is that God expects us to submit to the laws of government. Now, you say, well, what about when they conflict? Remember, I keep telling you, we keep asking that question because everything I've said, and this is since the, after the first sermon of this, we've asked the question somewhere along the way, well, what happens if that conflicts with what God says? We're going to get there. That'll be the last one of these that we look at together uh, this semester. But today, we need to understand that as a general rule, God expects His children, you and I, citizens of heaven, to submit to, that means to obey, the laws of the government where we reside. Now, I want you to look with me at the text. He says, Therefore... Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king of supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice or sin, but as bondservants of God. In these verses, now we only have one more verse, verse 17 in this paragraph. But in the bulk of this paragraph, in 13 through 16, what he does, he says, listen, your job as a citizen here on earth, understand, yes, my first citizenship's in heaven, but as a citizen here on earth is for you to submit to the ordinances, in other words, the rulings, the commands, the laws of the government where you reside. And he wants, us to, he wants to make that clear to us. And he gives us three reasons why we should do that in this text. And I want you to see all three of them. The first one is he says it's because of the Lord. I mean, notice it there in the text. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord or for the Lord's sake. If you're looking at it in the Greek text, those of you who are now becoming efficient uh, as we're moving uh, right on through this semester in your Greek studies, uh, what you will find is it just simply says, for the Lord. Implied in that is for the Lord's sake. In other words, you do this for the Lord. You do it because God would want you to do it. You do it because your Lord expects you to submit to government. That is why you do it. Now, folks, that should be enough right there because Jesus is our Lord. And he says, listen, as a citizen of heaven, your Lord expects you to submit yourself to the laws of the country that you live in here on earth. So you do it for the Lord. You do it because he said to. I never liked hearing that. Did you? 
I'm sure you did, heard it at least, not that you liked it, but I'm sure you heard it. But I remember one time, by the way, I never asked my dad why should I obey you. I never would do that. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I've said before, I learned from my older siblings, and that was one of the things I learned is I didn't question that from dad. But my mother was gentler. And uh, she still sometimes would uh, do some things, but sometimes I would ask her why uh, when she would tell me to do something. And uh, uh, I, sometimes she would, she would humor me and give me a reason. Uh, one time, um, I didn't say why. I said, or, or else. Or else what? And I should not have asked that because not only was it painful, it was embarrassing. It was in front of my, my uh, brother's fiance that I got smart and looked at my mother and said, or else what? And uh, I was walking out of the, out of the kitchen uh, into the dining room of our house and then on the living room and out the front door. And uh, she didn't stop me from doing that. But uh, my mother, you have to understand, she was this tall and she was a very large woman. Uh, and I didn't think she could move very fast, so I thought I was safe. Uh, but all of a sudden, her foot came up like this. Her shoe flew through the air. She grabbed it midair. She grabbed the back of my collar just as I'm going out, and she followed me all the way through the house with that shoe getting me as I walked through. And by the time we got there, I learned what or else was. Uh, by the time we got to the other end of the house. But most of the time, my mother was a little more mild-mannered than that. Uh, and by the way, it, it bruised, but it bruised my ego is what it bruised. <laughs> and uh, it bruised my ego that that happened in front of my future sister-in-law. And she would probably be laughing if she was sitting in the room because she thought it was kind of funny. Um, and has told me so since. But most of the time, if I looked at mother and I said, Mom, why? She would tend to humor me and say, well, Mark, because, and she'd give me a reason. But sometimes she would look at him and say, because I am your mother. Listen, why should we obey the laws of the country we live in? We should do it because the Lord said to. And that should be enough. But notice he gives us another reason in this text. He says, because of the Lord, but also because of the Lord's sending. Now, this is where it gets real familiar to Romans 13. He says, uh, for the Lord's sake, and then he says, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who were sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So he comes back and he says, here's the second reason. It's because God sent them. God sent the king of supreme. Now, who would be in their mind when Peter stated that? The very guy that a few years later would command that Peter be killed. Caesar, the king of supreme, the, the top ruler of the country, the, the, the highest law of their nation as it was, and the one who in, in their context could change a law like that if he chose to. It is an issue of you obey the, the, the head leader who, who puts forth these laws. But then he says, or to governors who, as, as well. So this is lesser authorities. Now you remember in the first century uh, of Israel, 
they had all kinds of leaders. They had all kinds of governing authorities over them. They had, they had the, uh, the Jewish system over them. So you had the Sanhedrin who was ruling, particularly in Judea. Uh, but then you also had King Herod who claimed to be a Jew and claimed that he was, he was over them and he had some level of authority. But then you also had, uh, you know, Caesar wasn't going to leave it all to him, so he had his own governor there. In Jesus' day, that was Pilate. But there were other governors over different regions that we read about, particularly in the book of Acts. And then ultimately, it is the king. What Peter is saying is it doesn't matter which one it is. Uh, when they issue the, the ordinance, the law, you should obey that. And the second reason he gives is because these have been sent by God. These people have been placed there by God. Remember, we learned that when we learned about God establishing that uh, second institution, the institution of government, that actually government does not exist because people wanted it. Government doesn't exist because a king said, I'm going to be government, uh, uh, set up a government. Government exists because God instituted it, and God sent them to carry out a specific task. Now, we see that task again stated here that we saw in Romans. What is it? It's to carry out God's vengeance and justice. It, it, it's, to, it's to punish those who do evil. And it is to praise those who do good. And that is what God has established government to do. Sometimes government overreaches its responsibilities. And government gets into areas that they have no business getting into. But God has set up government for a specific task. And that is for and carrying out His vengeance. That is what God established government for. And he said they are sent by God to do this. And so since God sent them to do so, as the government enacts laws, we should carry those out. But then he gives us a third reason. And it's very simple. He says in verse 15, for this is the will of God. God wills it. And then, like my mother, he gives us the why God wills it. So that you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Christians were being attacked for all kinds of things, just as they are today. Christians were being attacked for being unloving. Christians were being attacked for being subversive to the government. The Christians were being attacked for all kinds of things. And he says, by you obeying the laws as to the Lord, and because you know the Lord sent them, and because you know it's God's will, by you doing that, it will put to silence the ignorance of these foolish people. You're free, but you are not to use your freedom or your liberty as a cloak for vice. Instead, you must always live as the slave of God, bondservant. Not the diakone, not just the servant in general, but the doulos, the slave. We are slaves of God. And therefore, we should live in a way that when people attack us, they can't actually find something that we have done that is wrong against the law, at least the laws that are good.
Because that is why God tells us that we should do this. This is why it's the will of God. So we can put that to silence, and it gives us the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. So the first thing that this text teaches us to our questions this morning is this, that God expects us to submit to the laws of government. He expects that of all of His children. Now, by implication, there is something that you and I need to see from this text. Look again at that first verse that we read, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the king's sake. I want us to think for a few minutes about that every statement. Most Christians today that are engaged in the debate that they're talking about, that that, that we brought up with these two questions, they see that we should submit to the laws of our government. But they are selective in that. Now, let me ask you a question. Hopefully, as college students, you all know the answer to this question. Although, um, you know, you take a microphone, a camera, and go down on the streets of any major city in the U.S. and ask questions like this, and people just kind of look at you like, I have no idea. But I hope that you, as a student here, know the answer to this. In fact, if you have taken Dr. Williams' uh, classes on American history, I definitely hope so, or before him, Dr. Francis taught that course. If you've taken any of those courses, I hope you definitely can answer this. What is the supreme law of the land? I heard somebody say something, but I didn't hear what it was. What's the supreme law of the land? Okay, thank you. The Constitution of the United States. All right, it actually takes precedent over every other law. Now, last year we gave out copies of the Constitution. Uh, You may not have received one last year, and if not, we have some right over here on the, uh, as we talked about the other day, the banister. Uh, That's just what I call it, and I know that's not really a banister. It's, you know, it has nothing to do with stairs, but anyway, there it is, uh, whatever that thing is, on the shelf, whatever that is. We have copies, and if you don't have a copy, you need one. Uh, It's interesting to me. I've I've been able to uh, be a part of many people becoming um, citizens of the United States. And I have found that when they take their oath of citizenship, many of them know the Constitution better than most people that live here and the Declaration of Independence and other important documents of of our country. But listen, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and I want you just to be reminded for a minute of the the preamble to the Constitution, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Notice what it does not say. Me, the King of the United States. Me, the President of the United States. Listen, it doesn't say, me, the Congress of the United States. It does not say, me, the Judge of the United States. It says, we the people of the United States. Now listen, if you will read the Constitution, what you will find is our country was established as a constitutional republic, which says 
that we are a government to quote someone that you mentioned a while ago, or the, an event you mentioned a while ago, the Civil War, or on Tuesday in your sermon, you mentioned the Civil War and the divisions of our country in relationship to that. After a great battle of that, on November the 19th of 1863, Abraham Lincoln gave that famous speech after a speech that went over an hour that nobody even remembers the name of the guy who, who gave it. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers were brought forth, on the, brought forth on this continent, a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. And we are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of the field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here. But it can never forget what they did here. It's for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they have fought here, or they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to here to be here dedicated to the task remaining before us. That from these honored dead we take increased devotion to the cause for which they gave their last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom. That government, listen close, of the people, by the people, and for the people may long endure. You see, our country is unique in the history of the world. That is, that is nothing to go on an apology tour around the world and say, I'm sorry. God gave wisdom to our founders to say this nation is going to be a nation of the people, by the people, and for the people. It is etched in the very words of our Constitution, not only in the preamble which I read, and you don't want me to read the entire Constitution to you today, but the fact is throughout every bit of it, it is, hey, the people have a voice. Therefore, to be a good citizen of this country, you don't just have the right to vote. You have the responsibility to vote. And the fact of the matter is, is if we are going to obey 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, and we are going to submit to the ordinances of man, to those that are supreme and the secondary ones, then the fact is 
is we understand that we not just have a right to vote, which is a wonderful privilege, but ladies and gentlemen, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the responsibility to vote because that is what our laws call for and God says to obey those laws. And folks, that is the most fundamental concept of our country. It is the foundational document. Yes, to a great degree, there are other foundational documents, including our Declaration of Independence. Go read it as well. It's in the book too. But the fact of the matter is the supreme law of our land is the Constitution which establishes the responsibility of its citizens to vote. And so that, though that may be true of all citizens of this country, it is even more true of those whose citizenship is in heaven because our Lord has told us to obey the laws of the land. There's a third principle that I want you to see in this text. Not only do I want you to understand that God expects us to submit to the laws of government. And say, the second one is that God expects us to vote. God expects us to vote as, as U.S. citizens. Now, if you're living in another country that doesn't do that, then that's not one of your responsibilities. But here, it is. There are other responsibilities we have. Just submit to all of those laws, as long as they don't conflict with God's law. But the fact of the matter is, this is a core responsibility for each one of us. But there's a third thing. God also expects us to vote according to His, His priorities. So remember, we started today with two questions. Should Christians vote? Second one is, how should we vote? The first question we've already answered. We've seen principles in this text that drive us to say, yes, a Christian has a responsibility to vote in this country. But the second question is, how should we vote? Now, he, in this final verse of the paragraph, he says some things that are so... It's easy just to run over these last few, this last verse. But they impact how you and I vote. Now, let's look at verse 17 together. He says, honor all people, number one. Number two, he says, love the brotherhood. Number three, he says, fear God. And number four, he says, honor the king. These are four principles that he teaches us that you and I should do. And the first one, he says, is honor all people. Honor all people. Now, that word honor means to hold in high value. It means that people are important to you. They are held as valuable to you. All people are to be held valuable to you. That's why I love our Declaration of Independence. That's why I love our Constitution, because it talks about all the people. I love that. And we are to honor all people. We are to hold all people as precious things before God. In fact, often this word honor is used to describe something that's precious like gold or, or, or beautiful stones, a precious metal or precious, precious gem. 
It is something that it is very important to us, something that we, we hold in high esteem and high value. And he says to honor all people. And why is that? Because remember going all the way back to when we started this series, because God created us in his image and therefore all life is valuable. And so here we've moved all the way from Genesis to towards the end of the Bible here in 1 Peter as Peter's writing in the 60s AD. And he's saying, listen, Part of that is to honor all people. We're to honor all people. Now, let me tell you something. If you vote for somebody who, who actually advances in any way the murder of innocent babies in what should be the most protected place of their entire life, their mother's womb, if you vote to do that, you are not honoring those people. You're not. And these guys who say, well, listen, I'm pro-life all life. Listen, you cannot be pro-life all life if you're not pro-life for the baby in the womb. It's impossible. It's a lie. That is where it starts. And again, that's why we find that even in our Declaration of Independence, life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. Life is first. And honoring people demands that we do everything that we can to honor people by honoring life. I made a commitment to God when I was 16 years old, two years before I was legally able, able to vote in this country, that God, I will never knowingly vote for anybody that in any way will advance the taking of innocent life. Over 60 million people have been killed in this country. Far more than COVID. Far more than our recent wars. Killed in what should be the most protected place. People say, Mark, are you a, a one-issue voter, abortion? No, I'm not a one-issue voter. I consider other issues. But first, I honor all people. And I do consider abortion first. And if you will advance the cause of abortion, then I will not vote for you. I don't care if every one of my other issues you're with me on. If you will do what you can to limit and ultimately bring to an end the murder of innocent people in the womb, then I'll consider you to vote for you. That's just the bottom line. Honor all people. By the way, did you notice he begins and ends with honor? Honor the king. Guess what? It's the same word. I honor the president, even when it's not the president I want. I honor him because God tells me to. And I honor him because of the position, as we've talked about before, but I also honor him because he's a person created in the image of God. Just like I honor the baby in her mother's womb, I honor the president. Not a different word, same concept. But in between, he says, love the brotherhood. Who does he mean by brotherhood? You're a Delphos, for those of you studying Greek. Who is he talking about? He's talking about fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about believers. Love believers. And so, listen, that's one of the reasons that religious liberty is so crucial. There's many other reasons. But one of the reasons that, that religious liberty should be at the top of our list in, in considering who we vote for 
is because we ought to be watching out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, our government has overstepping this all of the time. Do you know that when John MacArthur stands in California, this California, a very liberal place, do you know he's been to the court four times over his response since he's done that? And do you know this? Even in liberal California, he has won every time before a judge. You know why? Because he is standing on the side of the ultimate laws of this country. And even liberal judges can't say, no, you, you can do this. Because his local government is overstepping what they can tell him to do. And he's just standing for the truth. Because he loves the brotherhood. He loves his church. He wants them together. That's why I stand with John MacArthur, even though we may disagree on things. I stand with him because he's my brother. I, I, I care about religious liberty issues because I am to love my brothers and sisters in Christ and want for them the freedoms that we have. In fact, I'm concerned about America, our country, doing something with international religious liberty. Why? Because they're my brothers and sisters too. And I don't go apologize to them and say, man, I'm sorry, I've got religious liberty. I go to them and say, man, I want you to have religious liberty too. That's the move of Scripture. This concept of, oh, we need to pray for persecution. You show me that in Scripture. It's nowhere. In fact, Scripture tells us to pray that we can live peaceably among all men so we can have ready access to share the gospel. It is not a biblical concept to say I'm praying for persecution that's not found in the Bible now if we do experience persecution it is a biblical concept to say I praise God that I was counted worthy to suffer like my Lord but that's not asking for it and we don't go to foreign countries and say man man you, you guys are my heroes so much and I, I want to be persecuted like you you know I, I know people who've done that on mission trips and every time, I, I know personally of someone, and I know this is anecdotal, but every person I know who's went and said that on the mission field, you know what the persecuted church told them? You're crazy. We're praying to have the freedom that you have. That's what we want. Because that's biblical. That's biblical. And so we should love the brother. So religious liberty is an important issue for me. Fear God. Listen. This moves us a little bit too close to our last chapel, so I'm not going down this road too far. But our ultimate allegiance belongs not to a political party, not to a particular candidate, not to a philosophical ideology. Our ultimate commitment belongs to God and Him alone. We reverence Him. Now you say, well, you said that's going to help me understand how to vote somehow? Absolutely it does. Because if you vote contrary to what God's Word teaches, then your fear is in the wrong place. Your reverence, your respect is in the wrong place. Because if you reverence God above all, then you want God's wisdom on how you vote. In 2004, I was living in um, Allenstown, or Allentown, uh, New Hampshire. And um, I filled up a gas the same place every week, and uh, sometimes several times a week, but I, I was in there a lot. 
And uh, I began, uh, myself and my nephew, Sam Coberly, some of you know Sam, and uh, he was living with us and he was my, serving as my youth pastor at the time. And uh, we would stop in there together and separately and we were, we were witnessing to this guy. He was a young guy, he was about 20 years old, and uh, he was really a great guy and we had a, a really great relationship with him. We'd been witnessing to him and, and he, had given, he had already given a mental assent. Uh, to faith in Christ. I'm not sure that he had actually trusted Christ yet, but he was, he was, he was growing in his concepts and understanding of Scripture and everything else. And uh, election day came around that November of 2004, and uh, Miss Ballard and I, uh, we didn't have been yet, but we went to the polls, and uh, we voted before I went into the office uh, that morning. And then before I took Cindy back home, I we went by uh, and I filled up with gas. And you know how you get those little stickers, I voted, and usually I just throw them away. But for that day, I don't know why, I just put it on, and I put it on my, my uh, lapel. And I walked in to pay for the gas, and that was for pay at the pump, uh, at least for me. Others have maybe had that, but I, I didn't get into all that then. So I went in to pay at the pump, and, and as he's checking me out, he says, Hey, Mark, I see you voted. And I said, Yeah, I did. And he said, Oh, that's great, man. You know, too many people just ignore it today, and they don't even vote. And I said, that's true. And he said, man, I can't wait. This is my first election. I'm going to go vote. I'm excited about it. I've been looking forward to this, you know, through my, all my teenage years. I've been looking forward to this election. This is my first opportunity to vote in a presidential election, and I'm going. I'm excited. I get off work at 2.30, and I'm going to go straight from here over to the school, and I'm going to vote. And I said, man, that is great. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, it's important for us to be involved as citizens in this country. In fact, you know, we can't really gripe if we don't, if we don't let our voice be heard. He said, yeah, that's what I tell people all the time. Man, this is so great. He said, uh, he said that, that's really what, hey, can I ask something? I said, uh, I said, yeah, what? And he said, well, who'd you vote for? And I said, well, why'd you ask the question? And he said, well, I just was curious. And I said, well, you know, who are you going to vote for? And he said, I don't know. And I said, you don't know? And he said, no. And I said, uh, did you know who you're going to vote for 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 a couple of town elections that we were having. He said, no. I said, well, how about, uh, how about for state representative? Do you know who you know? I hadn't really thought about it. And I said, well, how about our governor? And he said, no, I don't, don't know who I'm going to vote for for governor yet. And I said, well, how about the president? And I, I figured surely he had made a decision there yet. He said, no, I, I, I don't know. But I'm going to vote, man. And I said, well, how are you going to decide who you're going to vote for? And he said, well, he said, you know, I don't really know. He said, I, I've been asking everybody who came in who they voted for today that has one of those stickers on and I'm just trying to figure out what to do. And uh, he said, I guess I'm going to go just kind of look at the ballot and, you know, think through each one. And, and I said, well, do, do you have any idea what any of them stand for? And he said, well, no. Boy, that'd be helpful. That'd really clear things up for me. And I said, yeah, probably would. Well, why don't you tell me some of the things that are important to you? And he said, oh, man. He said, number one thing for me is this crazy abortion stuff. I want to get rid of that. He said, that's horrible. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what else is important to you? And he said, well, gun rights are very, very important to me. You know, he's a New Hampshireite. He hunted all of his, actually, since before he was old enough to hunt, his, he went with his family. And he says, that's really, really important to me. He said, you know, I, I'm going to stand for that. And so then I said, what else? And he gave me about 10 things that he was absolutely committed to. And, and I said, so you want to vote for, for people in all of the different elections who stand on that? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's what I want to do. So I've been thinking about that, and, and I, guess, I guess that is, and he starts naming candidates. 
And the candidates he was naming were all against everything he just said he was for. And I said, listen, I don't want to burst your bubble, man. But if you really believe what you said, you're voting for the wrong people. And he said, are you serious? And I said, yeah. He said, man, where do you find stuff like that out? And I said, well, in my car, I have this voter guide that just simply, it's nonpartisan. It just asks questions of people or looks at their records. And it, and it aligns where they are on, on these key issues. Many of the ones you talked about are on that list. And so this morning, this is what I did. I, I looked at the list. I said, I, I prayed to God and I said, God, show me who to vote for. And I pulled out the list and I looked at, looked at the list and, and picked out the things that I know from the Bible are most important to God. And then I, at every election all the way through for local, state, and national, I looked to see where the candidates stood on each of those issues. And then I went and voted. He said, man, where can I get one of those? And I said, well, I'm done with mine. You want mine? And he said, yeah. And so I went out to the truck and I got it and I gave it to him. Well, the next week I was in filling up with gas. And I walked in, he said, Mark, thank you so much. He said, man, if you had not had that conversation with me, I would have went and voted for every, every slot I voted for. I'd have been voting for someone who believed the very opposite of what I believe. Listen, when you go in to the voting booth next Tuesday or any time in the future, you need to vote not according to your feelings, not according to your friends, but you need to vote according to the Father's will. You need to find out where candidates stand and you need to vote consistent with God's priorities. He expects us to do it. So in the midst of all of the Twitter and Facebook and every other, the blogs and everything else that all these Christians are saying, God's Word does speak to the issue. God expects us to vote. God expects us to vote according to his priorities. Now maybe today you're like my friend in New Hampshire. And man, you want to vote according to priorities, but you have no idea what candidates stand for. Next to the Constitution in this room, and there's some in the other rooms that Michaela put out there, is a nonpartisan voter guide. Now, there are only two of them there, but I'm going to tell you where you can get more. There's the one for the presidential election is there for you. And then there's one that just compares the two, the two primary um, parties, their platform, what they say as a party they stand for. Now, on there, it is from the Family Research Council, and you find their website on those documents. And you can go there, and you can plug in your zip code, and they'll give you your locals as well. And if you want to do that, you can do that. But they're there for you. And if you're going to be serious about being a dual citizen, a citizen first of heaven and secondarily a citizen on earth, then I encourage you today to heed what God's word teaches us. Obey the laws 
including in our country, the, con the, the Constitution, which entrusts to you not just the right, but the responsibility to vote. And vote according to God's priorities, the Father's priorities, not your feelings and not your friends. Because ultimately you will not answer to yourself and your feelings. And you will not answer to your friends for what you do on this earth. You'll ultimately answer to the Father. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. As we come to a close today, if you're here and you know Jesus is your Savior, then I want to encourage you to take what we've learned today, understand it, and then apply it and respond to it by saying, God, in every election that I ever vote in, I want to be pleasing to you. I want, it's not about pleasing the president. It's not about pleasing your friends. It's not about even your own feelings. But God, I want to be, I want to be pleasing to the Father. So help me to do that. Help me to be responsible and find out what the issues are. Help me to see where the various candidates stand on those crucial issues. And help me to vote in a way that's pleasing to you because ultimately you're a citizen of heaven. And that's eternal. Your citizenship here on this earth will one day end. Your citizenship of this country will one day end. But your citizenship in heaven, if you know Jesus, is settled. So that is the most important thing. But then secondly today, maybe you're listening or maybe you'll listen online later when it's posted on the podcast. You say, well, listen, all of this was really focused on being citizens of two countries and I'm not sure that I am. It could be that my only citizenship is right here. I don't know for sure that God is my father, that Jesus is my savior, and that heaven is my real home. I'm not sure I'm a pilgrim. Listen, you can know today without any doubt that heaven is your home and God is your Father and Jesus is your Savior because God loves you so much. More importantly than voting in any election is knowing Jesus, knowing you're part of His family, knowing that your citizenship is first in heaven. And God loves you so much that though you and I have sinned and done wrong and we are separated from God and we don't have citizenship in heaven because of that. He loves you so much that He sent Jesus to die for you as we sang about earlier. The amazement of the cross, we sang about it. That God Himself, God the Son, Jesus, would die in your place and mine, taking the penalty for our sin being buried, and then rising again so that we could have life. And today He offers you forgiveness of sin. He offers you a right relationship with Him. He offers you today citizenship in heaven if you'll turn from your sin and trust Him. And if you've never done it, I want to encourage you to do so right now. Just right, right there where you're at, if you're listening online later, or if you are in this room or one of our other rooms here listening, if you never trusted Christ, just turn to Him now and just confess. Say, Lord, I know that I sin. But Jesus, I believe that You love me and You died for me. You were buried and You rose again. And Jesus, right now, I turn from my sin and I trust You. 
I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life and to be my Lord. To give me citizenship in heaven right now. In Jesus' name, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've done that for the first time today, then listen, we'd like to know it so that we can rejoice with you. So if you're in the room, go to your professor, go to come to me, go to, go to one of the staff, go to one of your friends that you know has a real relationship with God and say, man, I've trusted Jesus for the first time today so that we can rejoice with you. If you listen to the podcast later, then you email us or call us here at the college. Let us know so that we can rejoice with you. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks even to the practical issues of how to live as citizens of our country and how to vote in elections when they come. Guide us and help us to be faithful to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.